Prayers, the parishioners of Incarnation Catholic Church in Tampa that was vandalized last evening by gasoline and fire starting. Lucky for them, they have a wonderful sprinkler system. So there's damage, but not as much as there could be. If it started in this parish, we'd lose the whole thing probably. So we need to pray for you, especially to the intercession of St. Michael and the Archangels, for protection against these holy sites, that, the, that they may defend us and that they may keep us all safe. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, God, the Word of God from St. Paul tells us, Brethren, I pray you not faint at my tribulations, for you which are your glory. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all paternity in heaven and on earth is made, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by his Spirit, and with might unto the inward man. Very interesting words that St. Paul uses here in his letter to the Ephesians, because we have to remember that Paul, by his upbringing, was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish scholar of the law. He knew Judaism inside and out. He was trained by one of the best out there, uh, one of the best rabbis. So Paul knew his stuff. And yet he says that, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father. It is the not, if you've ever been to Israel, or you've seen pictures of Israel, at the Western Wall, you notice that the Jewish people stand rocking. They rock back and forth. They don't kneel. Kneeling is not a, not a method of prayer for, Judah, for Jews or Judaism. Kneeling, a sign of, of sublimation, is a uh, sign for us as Christians, recognizing the majesty of God. And so St. Paul reminds us that we are to bend our knee before the Lord. But in particular, he says, um, For this cause I bend my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all paternity in heaven and on earth is named. What St. Paul teaches us in regards to the paternity of God is that men, men, you men out there, you are supposed to be spiritual leaders of the faith. You are supposed to lead spiritually the faith. As Christians, as Catholics, it begins with those who are called first by the Lord, clergy. Clergy, especially the apostles. We see in the life of the apostles, these men devoted and dedicated to the Lord to prepare and to help people spiritually meet their God, shedding their very blood in their leadership of the church. Those who succeed in the apostolic way of life are bishops, are to do the same. They are to be spiritual leaders in the faith. And trickle down from the, the bishops are to be the priests, who are servants of the bishops, if you will. We are helpers of the bishops. 
The bishops have the fullness of orders. We as priests only have uh, are below the bishops. We are their helpers. And so therefore they are to be spiritually fathers to their clergy as well as to the people entrusted to their care. And we recognize today that that has failed. Not just, and if obviously if your father is going to be weak, if the spiritual father is going to be weak, we cannot expect the children to be strong. And this is the crisis of the church that we are in today. We have a lack of leadership, spiritual leadership, the concern for the people's salvation of their soul. It all started in the 70s, my dear brothers and sisters, when the church opted to follow the business model of existence. And so now, leadership means programs. Bishops invent and find all these programs out there. And with the internet, there's more than any. Programs, programs, programs. We have meetings, meetings, meetings. Get these programs up and running. And as we're wasting our time at these meetings to get these programs going, the care of souls is neglected. The care of souls is falling by the wayside. And so we have children, spiritual children at law, and orphaned, having no leadership in their lives. And so therefore, this trickles down from the spiritual fatherhood of the leaders into the physical fatherhood of parents. And we must admit in our culture and in our modern day that fatherhood is lacking in many cases. That the leadership of the father is lacking in many cases, even in families that are intact. I mean, we're not even going to talk about the broken families in which the paternal leadership is missing very often, but even in intact families, it is the father who leads in the way of faith. It is the father who courageously shows their children how to live in a world that is against them. But if the leadership at the top is not doing that, we do not have the tools in which and way in which to, to do that ourselves. Seemingly. That's what the devil wants you to all think. That if the top isn't doing it, then we're all lost completely. We're not completely lost because God is our true father. God is our true father. God is our true leader. And through humbling ourselves and getting on our knees before the Lord for this, this task, and what is the task for especially parents, especially fathers, to be praying for their families and children and leading in the ways of faith? How, and maybe this preaches to the choir, but how sad it is when it is the mother who is forced to drag the children to church on Sunday when the father does whatever he wants to do. And then we wonder why, as these children get older, that they do not think the church is important. And so they fall away. I mean, we just have to go look in at any Catholic church or any church ministry and look how many women are involved to compare to how many men. Where are you, men? Where are you in serving God through his church? Where are you through serving your family and faith? You can't just go to church on Sunday anymore. You can't just do that. It's not enough. Say, the, the servant of 
God, Father John Harden, spoke back in the 19, late 80s, early 90s, that only Catholics are going to make it who live through heroic virtue. Heroic virtue means that we are going to take on the, what the gifts of the Holy Spirit gives to us, and we are going to live them in our everyday life, knowing that it is going to bring us conflict and it's going to bring division. Men taking their role in leadership in our modern world is verbatim, verboten rather. It's, it's, you can't do it. It's you're oppressive, you're patriarchal, you're, just, you're destroying the rights of women. Well, how did we buy into this lie from hell? How did we buy into it? Women don't realize how much power they have over men. Women do not realize the power that they have and through the equal rights amendment and this feminazi spirit have lost. Women, the power you used to have over men, you've lost. You've kicked it to the curb. So what do we do? We bury our head in the sand. We say, oh no, it's all lost. No, God is a God of the living. God is a God of hope. God is a God of reminder to us. Throughout Scripture, we see God constantly reminding his people back to himself, back to the covenant. So you and I have to recognize what is the, what is the plan of God in society, in the family. The very first covenant that God established with humanity was marriage. And through that covenant of marriage, family life, be fruitful and multiply. That covenant lasted and was persevered and persevered through the flood. The covenant wasn't lost. That first covenant God established wasn't lost through Noah. God didn't just take Noah on the ark and say, no, forget your family. He took Noah, his wife, his children, grandchildren, all on board. Because it is God just is never unfaithful to his covenants. God is always faithful to the covenants he established. But now what do we have in our modern day? In our modern day we have a redefinition of marriage. Man is, going, is trying to say that we know better than God and we know what, man, what marriage should be. And so marriage can be more so than just a man and a woman. It can be a man, man, woman, woman. And then we open up a floodgate. We open up a floodgate to where we have people in our country and in our world marrying buildings, marrying things, marrying ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's almost like you wake up in a nightmare and you say, this isn't real. You think it's one of those, the Babylon Bee or one of those newspapers that are satirical. This can't be true. And yet, it's true. But, but we shouldn't be surprised because God tells us there are consequences for violating, for violating his covenant that he has established. And there are consequences for this. So you and I, you and I are called to be visible witnesses of the presence of God at work in our world. We are called to be living witnesses of what God intended for the family to be, for the father to be, for the male to be a spiritual leader of the community. That doesn't make women less important than man. That does not make women less important than man. I mean, that's the lie of the devil says. You know, I'm all for equal rights. I'm all for. However, if you're going to be a firewoman, and you're going to have to get me out of a burning building, 
well, you better be able to lift the same amount of weight that the man has to lift. Because otherwise, I'm going, I'm dying in that building. So you see, we talk about equal rights verbally, but the reality still is not equal rights. It's not equality. And yet we, we, buy, we keep buying into these lies. We buy into these lies. And so you and I have to first and foremost know what is it that God desires for me? What is, it, what is God's plan? Again, what does St. Paul do? For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all paternity in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by his Spirit. St. Paul is praying as the spiritual leader. He is praying for his spiritual children to be open to receive the Holy Spirit. That they can be guided, guarded, and strengthened in living how they're called to live. Because St. Paul, uh, St. Paul was, was no dope. He knew what he was doing. He knew and saw the writing on the wall. He knew his days were numbered. He knew what was going to happen to him. And so therefore, he knew that what was going to happen to him was going to happen to all of us who follow the Lord. But we have this mismatch, we have this thing in our brain, this disconnect that thinks in our modern day and time, that it thinks that, well, I go to church on Sunday, I say my prayers, that means everything's going to come up roses in my life. God, I'm doing what God wants me to do in prayer, I'm doing what God wants me to do in going to the church, so therefore, no bad things are going to happen to me. Where do we get this ridiculousness? Where do we get this ridiculousness? And because we want all good things happening to us, because we want to shy away from the cross, what do we do? We shy away from being the leaders we're supposed to be. We shy away from being a leader. Now, my dear friends, let me just tell you this. Two weeks ago, I gave a homily on moral conscience and our duty to form that conscience voting. You may remember it. For this Mass, I gave the same homily on all Masses, the variation. For this Mass, I softballed it. I didn't think it was necessary to be as emphatic and as clear as I was at the other Masses. Because I thought this Mass, you would have had a better moral foundation. Well, wasn't I wrong? Wasn't I wrong in that reality? So now, as I shared with my the mass, the, the Novus Ordo masses, the, there's no more pussyfooting around issues with my preaching. I am not going to be held responsible or culpable or go to hell because you do not know the truth, which is what I am supposed to do as the spiritual leader of this parish. And you're not going to like to hear what I have to say. And you want to know what? I don't care. I don't care that you're not going to like it because it's not me that's speaking. It is what the church and what God through the church teaches us to live. As Catholic, as faithful, as moral. I cannot help that the church, in her, in, in her humanity, over the past 60 years, has failed to do what she was supposed to do in teaching moral truth. I cannot help that in 2020. I cannot reverse time and go back to the 1970s and make it all better. Would it be nice if I could? But I can't do that. I, when, when the church drops something, 
the world picks it up. So when we preach, when the church preaches on moral issues, you cannot help but think in terms of politics. Because politics has taken up the moral, the role, the moral realm of reality. I have never once in any of my preaching in 25 years as a priest ever supported or promoted any political party. Ever. I have never preached telling you who and who to vote for and why. That is not my obligation to do. My obligation is to form your conscience and you have to decide through a formed conscience. That is my duty, that is my obligation. I cannot help that some political parties in our modern day align themselves so much with evil that it's very black and white to tell. I can't help that. Not my fault. You're not going to like to know whose fault it is. Because a certain political party has a majority of a particular religious group of people known as Catholics. How with so many Catholics involved in a political party, that party can endorse and promote intrinsic evil is not just alarming and sad. It is an indication that we, my brothers and sisters, have not been doing our job as Catholic leaders on faith. We don't want to it's not our fault. We don't want to take the blame. It's never us. That was Jerusalem. Israel was doing the same thing. Not our fault. Not our fault Babylon's playing at us. Not our fault Babylon's attacking us. Not us, not us. Woe is it us? And God says precisely, yes, it is your fault. Because you wandered away from what I called you to. My dear friends, God is a God who loves us. God is a God who is merciful. God is a God who desires us to have everything we need to be happy here on earth. Because happiness on earth leads us to the happiness, ultimate happiness of heaven, of eternal life. What more do we need? And not only does he give us this, but he gives to us his very life, which in a few moments, at this altar, heaven is going to come down to earth. Earth is going to rise up into heaven. And at this altar, heaven and earth are going to meet. The angels and the saints, as well as you and me gathered here, are going to worship and praise our God. With the angelic hosts, we worship God. It is never us just here on earth who worship God. We are always united with heaven. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Last time I checked, the Father was in heaven. And so Jesus and the Father come. The Trinity is before us. Do we recognize, do we see, do we understand and appreciate what is happening? God brings to us heaven, here and now, so that you and I can be prepared, strengthened, and desire it for all eternity. How good is our God? How wonderful is that? It doesn't get any better than that. There's nothing more he can give us. He's exhausted himself with the blessings he bestows upon us just with one holy sacrifice of the Mass. If only one Mass was 
celebrated for all eternity, that would be enough. And yet, every day, very, very often every hour of the day, he, does, he brings himself to us to show us his love, his mercy, to show us he is with us, to show us we are never alone. And no, how, no matter how bad it gets out there, no matter how bad it looks and seems like everyone is against us, thanks be to God, God is always for us. And if God is for us, who can be against? What is there to fear? What is there to worry? My dear friends, the Word of God is a powerful word. It's an exciting word, and it's a challenging word. It is a challenging word because it requires of you and me to die to self, to nail ourselves to that cross, to live not for our own earthly desires, but to live for the desires of God. Impossible? No. Nothing's impossible with God. Difficult? Yes. Very difficult, but not impossible. And so therefore, my friends, we rejoice and we are glad that God has given to us this ability, this desire that we with him serve through leading everyone that we encounter to him. Let us pray for a renewal of spiritual fatherhood within the church and within our families. Let us pray that you and I as believers in the Lord will recognize what we possess and what we have and what we have to offer to the world. Because, my dear friends, if you and I don't, if you and I don't know this, who's going to do it? That is the question to ask ourselves. God has chosen you and me. We rejoice, we are glad, we are glad that the Lord comes to us and that we humble ourselves and kneel before the Lord for his strength, for his power, and for his mercy and love. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.